The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome to the Can't Blue Podcast post-match reaction. I'm your host, Dan Rowlands, and I'm joined here this evening by Matt Kendrick. Though for the people watching this or listening to this, uh, it will be this morning for you. Uh, we are recording this at half 11 on the Tuesday evening of the Newcastle defeat. Uh, but Matt, we had a couple of dodgy Wi-Fi moments, so we thought we wouldn't risk going live and we'll do it as a pre-record. And hopefully we can leave it pretty much unedited, but if I do need to intervene with a dodgy connection, I will cut bits out. Um, before we get into it, how are you this evening? Upset, sad, proud of what came before? How do you feel? It's a it's a new feeling, isn't it? I forgot what it was like to, weird, to go yeah. on and lose losing the league at Villa Park. Um, but if you're going to do it, you might as well do it in spectacular fashion. Um, we're just awful, weren't we? It was just a mm. it was just a, a terrible evening. I think you know, obviously Newcastle came with. Was it the second worst away record in the in the league or something? Only one away once, and you see them leaving, celebrating as if they've just clinched a place at Wembley or something. Um, listen, I'm not I'm not the celebrating police, so I don't want to sound sound too too bitter about it. It's obviously a, a big result for them and to beat us what eight two on aggregate. But I don't think, and I'm not trying to take anything away from their performance, but I don't think that we made them work hard enough to beat us mm. like that. Um, and it wasn't until the introduction of Leon Bailey, and I'm getting ahead of myself, it wasn't in t- until Bailey came onto the pitch that we actually looked like we can get the intensity to, to to turn and get behind them and actually make things happen. So I just think it was so disappointing given what we've what's gone before. And I think this is the the little bit of you know, I'm not going to be completely doom and gloom. And if you probably look at the Aston Villa hashtag on on AVFC hashtag on, on social yeah, don't. media at the moment. <laughs> I can imagine it's this is the beginning of the end and the cracks mm-hmm. have turned into chasms and all this kind of thing. And I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. And somebody's somebody's tweeted me when I was, dad was driving me home and I, I was looking at my phone saying um, how this could become a mediocre season. I think, well, hang on a minute. I think there's a difference between anticlimax and mediocre. We finish outside the top four from the position that we put ourselves in after the first half of the season. I think anything less than top four is an anticlimax. I think anything top six can't be described as mediocre, um, no, especially no, while we not. still compete, competing on another couple of fronts. So I get it because the performance levels haven't been what we've been used to. The result at mm. Villa Park certainly hasn't been what, what we're used to. Um, the concern I've got is the concern that I've voiced all along, that, that we I think we've got a, a top four best eleven. I'm not necessarily convinced we've got a top four squad. So we're asking mm. a lot of our team, our, our squad and our fringe players to produce that every week. Um, but I think yeah. I think Saturday becomes massive now. I think we've got to we've got to go That's there on the too. front foot and, and win that game just to keep just to regain some of that momentum. Mm. 
well, I say must win. I don't really like the phrase "must win" when there's you know half a season pretty much left. If we don't, we if we don't beat Sheffield United, it doesn't mean the season is over. But to kind of arrest this little uh, slump in form, I guess to, to finally get a win for the first time in what feels like quite a while now. Uh, obviously, drew to Sheffield United, drew to Everton, drew to United, Man United, nil uh, nil in the FA Cup with a replay. Obviously, lost tonight. It feels like we just need a win. We need a win of any kind, so whether it's a good performance or not, really. Uh, yeah, I don't break it down, but we actually lost to Man United. We didn't draw. Oh, of course, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> even worse. Um, yeah, it's like. Um, as, if to, yeah. as, if to, as if it couldn't get any worse. I've just kind of broken <laughs> that bad news. But, uh, uh, you mentioned the. Um, cracks turning into chasms it's not quite the stage of photoshopping the Aston Villa badge in two years it, the, the, tr- the classic journalism trope of the badge with a big crack in the middle I'm not sure you can be in crisis can you when you're still still no. in the top four even if you're just clinging to it um, no, you're right about the AVFC hashtag I've seen some in my opinion silly things on, on Twitter on, on the car journey back this evening like I said we always say about this post-match show that maybe sometimes we've, we will change how we feel within 24 hours Maybe some people will feel differently for tonight when I'm reading these tweets than they will when they listen to this episode tomorrow. But I've seen some things that I just I just can't get on board with. I can't agree with that uh, certain players aren't aren't up to standard or the performances haven't been great, which they haven't. But it's almost like a disaster of a disaster of the last two months. I saw someone say. In the last two months with Man City and Arsenal, it's a month maybe more so, and even disaster, I won't go as far to say, but it hasn't been the the standards that we ex- expect. And I understand that that's frustrating and disappointing, but I don't think, anyway, we're five minutes into this, I don't think you'll hear any sensationalism, over-the-top, end-of-the-world stuff from, from either you or I tonight anyway. We're fourth in the in the league still. Like this isn't. Oh, now this, the season is over. We've lost to Newcastle. They've leapfrogged us into the into the top six, and that that's the end of it for us. There's still a hell of a lot of football to be played in in the league. We're still in the FA Cup. We're still in the Europa Conference League. Yes, tonight was crap. But that was one of our worst performances under Unai Emery. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, do you? After one bad result, and I said. I don't know when it would have been, probably well after Sheffield United, possibly when, when the winning streak came to an end, that you know we will lose at Villa Park at some point, everybody. like that, that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. But I would like to think that there is some kind of period of acknowledgement or, like I said to you at the start, a sense of pride maybe that we used to go to Villa Park at one stage, losing most weeks to have gone there for the pretty much the entirety of 2023 and into early 2024 without losing there. Uh, the last time we lost was February 2023. Obviously, most of those wins as well, of course, up until Sheffield United and obviously tonight. Um, you've got to acknowledge that and say that's a bloody good achievement. Yes, tonight's disappointing and frustrating and was a terrible performance. But come on, like I, I, I get that people are bored of this kind of narrative of, well, look where we were five years ago. We were mid-table in the championship. I get that. That's probably an old thing to try out now. But look where we were a, a year ago or so, you know, struggling to, to find any form at home, to have put the, the the Villa Park kind of hoodoo to bed that we we are now a good home team or a brilliant home team. Um, one kind of, what's another cliche, one kind of um, fly in the ointment with Sheffield United and Newcastle United. It's, it's not the end of the world, is it? No, and I think I think you can, you can be disappointed without being kind of fatalistic about it, you know. You... Mm, of course. <laughs> I think... Aston Villa, as Champions League contenders, it was always going to be, and I'm not giving up on it, but it was always going to be a big ask. We we are 
the pretenders rather than the contenders. So to actually go back and keep justifying that, um, I think we said, I can't remember what game it was after, probably the heady heights of Manchester City and Arsenal in the week that we thought that even then replicating the season or replicating the first mm. half of the season was going to be a big ask. But we thought that we'd got enough in the bag that even if we fell slightly short of the first half of the season, the second half of the season, we still might get over the line. And I think that's still... That still can still be the case. case. Me, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 16 games to go in the league. Still a lot of points available. Yeah. Like Villa could win 10 of 16 in theory. More, obviously, in theory. Um, but, uh, you know, as a reasonable target to say if we win 10 of 16, that's another 30 points onto Villa's uh, current total of 43. If Villa were ending the season on 70-something, that would give them every chance of finishing in the top five. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, probably less looking at Liverpool, Arsenal and and Man City that, as much as we have been in previous weeks. Although, is this table up to date? We're still on the same points as Man City. Yeah, still 43 points. Uh, Spurs obviously play uh, today for people listening. They have um, Brentford at their home stadium. So I would expect Spurs to win tonight and go level with us and Man City on 43, Arsenal on 46 and Liverpool on 48. Uh, I think Liverpool play on Wednesday evening as well. Um, obviously, the gap to, to West Ham is still there. The gap to Newcastle United is obviously three points less. Uh, Brighton took a battering at, at Luton, so that, you know, we've not lost anything there. Man United, obviously, 32 points, and we play them uh, in a couple of weeks. So, all is not lost for me is the message. 16 games and, and 30, 40-odd points, whatever it is. It's the, a long, long way to go. And um, Yeah, Villa are, are touching 70-odd points. that They've given every chance of finishing in, in the top five, and we all think that will be good enough for Champions League but you know we're looking ahead at, at title races and Liverpool and Arsenal and I know Arsenal have gained points on us it's a straight shootout with Spurs for me fourth and I think the other yeah. team will probably finish fifth and whether that is good enough for Champions League we will find out at the end of the season yeah 16 games is 48 points Dan don't you know don't you know your troubles have you not been watching Luke Littler I'm rubbish <laughs> rubbish with math um, yeah it, it's just it, it's frustrating and I think I don't know. Listen, you could look at this either way. You could look at it that we've we've got we're asking the same players to go to the well every single week to to a point. Mm. Um, but I actually I actually wonder if it's the reverse that this gap between fixtures has not necessarily helped because we've, no, probably we've, not. Had, we've had this this way of recovering quickly under Emery and and putting disappointments behind us and and getting it out of our system and and mm. you know pretty much kind of knocking out the next opponent in front of us and it's been a real real stop-start month it was bizarre that you know at the 30th of January I'm I'm saying happy new year to me neighbors uh who sit next to me at Villa Park because it's been it's been so long um but it, it was just that feeling of I'm just not you I mean you can get you can almost understand how, how fan base is becoming titled so quickly mm, yeah. you become so spoiled and so conditioned to winning football matches when you're a bit good, that anything that deviates from that narrative, you all of a sudden you're like, "This is this is appalling! <laughs> Give me my money back! This is this is terrible." Um, By the way, some people who will want their money back, given some of the ticket prices I saw going around this evening, it was got sixty three pounds or something, which is a topic for another day. But that's frankly ridiculous. Um, 
I understand it, of course. Like, I don't want to come across that we're not bothered by losing. Of course, we, we want Villa to win every game possible. That was bad tonight, as much as I think I said to somebody on the way back that Newcastle probably had their two best performances of the season against us, their best home performance and best away performance, which, I mean, the away one's not difficult considering they've only won one at home, won, won one on the road before tonight. Um they just seemed to turn it on and, and 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 did a job on us that we did to them in the reverse fixture last year and at the in the Villa Park fixture last year when we when we beat them three 0 we were comfortably the better team and a, a really entertaining game and, and we really put them to the sword. I don't really think Newcastle, Newcastle did that to us tonight. I don't think they were outstanding footballers and, and were you know really really good. I think we were really bad in some instances as well and kind of let them have an easy ride of it scoring a couple of goals from set pieces Fabian Schaal being on hat-trick like, that's not the way a game should go really um, and Martinez makes a couple of good saves that keep keep us in it as well and we've gone from like Villa creating a lot of chances and not really giving many away to not really creating anything and giving a lot of chances away like spe- not specifically to tonight but Martinez has made a few big saves in the last few games in a row now Kept us in it at Chelsea in the first half. Made a couple of good saves against Everton. That Calvert-Lewin one, the finish wasn't great, but it's still a good save. So we've kind of stumbled a little bit. Um, I yeah. think Eddie well, Howe done a good. I think they've done a good job. I, I don't think they were brilliant, but I think they were really effective tonight. I think they've done a yeah. Good effective job. is a better word. Yeah. You look at the the. You know, I'm not a massive fan of Anthony Gordon, but he worked so hard tonight and their press was actually one of the most effective presses I think I think we we struggled because they they pressed our back line so so high up from goal kicks and stuff that we couldn't we couldn't really work you know Martinez having to go long more than he usually would and then you're going long and it's Dan Byrne up against the RB and yeah. that's his only his only one winner there and we just weren't getting, that was weird oh, okay. we weren't getting Kamara and, and, and Louise on the ball enough um and then the, the key thing for me, and listen, I'm, I'm not sure it's kind of takes a master tactician to do it, but when we got Bailey on and we we're start, starting to make some inroads down there, and Dan Byrne was being exposed by, by Leon Bailey, he's made the change and brought Livermento on. And listen, Bailey was still what I thought our best source of, yeah. of getting any joy down there, but he kind of bottled us up down there as well. And I just think it was, you know, I think it was. I'm not saying Eddie Howe's a kind of like I say a master tactician, but he's got the better of got the better of of, of Emery twice. Um, I actually thought before the two goals, I don't think we we're I don't think we were at our free flowing best, but I thought we we looked more likely at that stage. We just seemed to be overplaying and looking for the kind mm. of perfect cutback and stuff like that. Yeah. But having conceded that first goal, to concede the second goal was you know like you say two set pieces and if i'm being honest i probably am looking i've probably got mclaren blue specs on because there was lots of times whether it was um isak or whether it was was gordon where we looked like being exposed by that ball over the top between our two center halves as well um I think martinez has made a good save hasn't he and long has got a good tackling while, while it's still nil nil um yeah, I mean, listen. If you if you think of all the emotion and the imagine what imagine what social media was like back in August after that first day, and you know, every soon patched that up and got us onto a fantastic mm. run. So I think this is once I I think this is the biggest test of him this season because you can you can almost feel a little bit of confidence has gone. They do seem you know, some mm. of the players, some of their own individual performance levels have gone. 
maybe there's a bit of fatigue. Um, so I think he's got a, a real kind of challenge on, he, on his hands to, to, to reawaken it quickly to give us a chance to, mm. to maintain what we started. Yeah, I think like decision making and some of the things that we were doing on the pitch confused me a little bit. I, I, that confusion is probably the right word. In fact, certainly for the first half, I was kind of like, I'm sitting back and looking around, going, "What are we doing here? Like, what what, what are we actually trying to do? Like, you find ourselves in space and, and then it's backwards, or not trying to beat a man and just looking a little bit indecisive, maybe. Or when we do kind of commit to a decision, you think well, that's the wrong one. You should have squared it, or you should have played a him in, or, or whatever it is specifically. Um, I don't think we move the ball quick, quickly enough sometimes. No, I can we, understand we don't do it because that's the way we play, and it's about being patient and probing and looking for the is, right opportunity. You probe. If you probe patiently all the time, you don't vary. You don't vary the tempo at all, especially when you've given the opposition a two 0 lead. You're yeah, not, yeah, they don't yeah, need to. Be, you're not moving them around. They don't. They can. They can sit in, and, yeah. and they've got pace on the break. And I think it's like it's like it's silly little things. Which if we'd have won the game, we probably wouldn't have even noticed it. So we, you can start getting picking holes a little bit, but. I don't think I saw Matty Cash, and I'm not saying he we dig out the Austin McPhee kind of Aston Villa beach towel to dry his hands on, and he bombs it into the box. Although it did work against Newcastle when <laughs> Daddy Ings scored, but yeah. I don't think he, I, I saw him throw the ball forward. Mm. Now, there was one who took a really quick throw in, and I wasn't sure who it was. I, I assumed it was Cash in the first half on the far side. I was like, oh, that was actually a, a, a quick bit of thinking. For the, yeah. It was like the first time I thought we've made a good decision. There's just a few too many instances where it's just like, I just. It's always back to the, concert. The, the back of urgency isn't there. Put it into the feet of the winger. If there's space, he'll give it back to you. And then at least you've got the ball facing the play. But like I said, I think we're probably splitting hairs because there's been times. Of course, yeah. yeah. It's probably that, that throw in. It's probably that that routine all the time when we get it back to Esri Concert and we move it across the back line and then we're trying to merge Daniel the flank. So I'm probably being being hypercritical, but I think it stings a little bit more that slow, patient build-up. And I know we've been educated and I know it generally works more often than not. But when you're chasing the game, you think... Yeah, when you're losing, it doesn't feel good. What are we going to do differently to, mm. to raise the tempo? And, you know, obviously the ball that, 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 that Bailey's... Um, whipped across for the for the Watkins goal. That's doing doing something quickly before before the opposition is set. And then you're not going to always have that luxury. But you know, the goal that the ball that they whipped in for their for their third goal, you know, our deliveries tonight is so many times, and whether it was Matty Cash, I think Esri Cons has been guilty of it a couple of times, McGinn, Douglas Louise, you just a little chipped ball with no pace against mm. a fairly the biggest you know, defense in the league <laughs> imposing imposing backline you're thinking well what are you thinking might happen there yeah what I know. are you thinking yeah it's those um, things that's even, even if you win that ball you're gonna have to generate your own momentum to get any kind of power yeah. on it to get it near the goal um, there was a couple of times either Watkins, I think Matty Cash as well, found himself in space uh, to kind of break the line in behind, and you're looking at a diagonal ball across the pitch to get the ball into that in, into that area of space, and it's like, well, if we go long here, they'll deal with it, and it's back to square one. It seems to go long from yeah. most goal kicks as well, something we don't often do. And yeah. again, you're thinking this is one of the tallest defenses in the league. I don't know the stats in front of me, but it feels like Newcastle won pretty much every header that, that went their way. So there's those moments where you, I do wonder. That, they're coached to the nth degree, like they're told exactly what to do. There's a game plan, you know, Emery, we're, we're very um, gushing about how, how intelligent he is and how he sets us up. It's kind of like, well, 
why are we doing why are we doing that? <laughs> why are we just floating balls into the box against six foot yeah. six Dan Byrne against five foot whatever John McGinn, who is strong with his body and uh, did a job on Dan Byrne last season, but continuing to do the same thing and the same thing is very frustrating. And when you're behind, like you say, that kind of sense of urgency is not there. That lack of almost like playing on instinct is not there because we're so kind of routined and um, yeah. and patient. We need that moment of magic from someone like Bailey to come on and change the game and just do something differently. That's probably one of the first crosses along the, along the floor and it's resulted in a goal. We obviously yeah. scored a second not long after and it's offside, I think. I've not seen it back, so I don't know whether how close that was or whatever. Um, but, you know, in a, almost in a split second, you're looking at it going, oh, we've changed something, we've done something different, we're, we're playing off instinct here rather than going through the motions and all of a sudden we look dangerous. And I've thought we might change things at half-time, not 70 minutes in or whenever the changes came. Yeah, and it's, it's such intricate attention to detail to move the ball into areas where you can potentially lay a glove on your, on your opponents. That having done that, having kept the ball and moved it in such a methodical way, it almost seems like a dereliction of duty to not to not look after that 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 final ball um, mm. a little bit more. But like I said, I think I think we we I don't I don't want to. I know it sounds silly, and I, it's not that kind of Emery and this kind of wonderful team that he's assembled are beyond criticism. I just. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I was going to ask think... you about that. That's that's what I kind of wanted to end with. I said at the start, I didn't want this to be over the top or sensationalism or, or whatever, or us being accused of putting the foot in or whatever, whatever phrase you want to use to throw our way after this. Obviously, we, we're not doing this live, so we've got no live feedback to the things we're saying here. So we'll, we'll wait and see what the YouTube comment section says in the morning. God forbid. Um, we all love Unai Emery, of course. There's not one Villa fan out there that will be thinking we need to make a change or anything silly like that, of course, and neither do we think that. But because we kind of hold him in such high regard and we think he's you know, built the statue and all these things that we say about him and the job he's done, to me, is, is, is a miracle from where we were to where we are now. That doesn't make him immune to criticism, though. I, got, I think he got it wrong tonight. I thought the, the starting eleven was wrong. I thought Bailey should have started. He said since that he had a problem with his back against Chelsea, which is why he, he came on in the 90th minute in that game. Um, and then he was more involved for this one. I, I, we did wonder whether it was going to be a fitness thing for him as why he was not in the team. But Moussa Diaby's not really done a fat lot for a long time now. Jack Ramsey comes off the bench. I think he did a great deal. Likewise, Zaniolo is fumbling around a little bit. Bailey was the one player, really, you can hang your hat on and go, he's done something there. He's, he's made a difference. We massively miss Pau Torres. Um, I don't think that can be understated. I don't know. I just, as much as I absolutely love Unai Emery, I think he can do no wrong. I also don't want to not put any blame on him because I think that was one of our worst performances under him at Villa Park, at least. Anyway, I think that's pretty easy to say because we've been so good at home <laughs> since he's been here. But yeah, I don't want it to come across that like, oh well, trusting Unai, he knows what he's doing. Sometimes I think you can point out that I'm not quite sure he got it right tonight. Yeah, I mean the the, the Bailey Diaby one. It's obvious because Bailey did had achieved more in five minutes of stepping off the bench than than Diaby did probably for for most of his however long he was on an hour or whatever however long he was on the pitch. I think the the thing with with um, I think I think it's a it's I think it's a, a kind of double problem at the moment because yes, Emery. He's only human, isn't he? He's going he's gonna to make mistakes, but also he's got less bandwidth 
to experiment mm. in than you know because because the, the the size of the squad it doesn't give him that many options to be honest and I might have got this wrong but did I read somewhere him saying that if if Watkins you know I don't think it's about the the, the Duran situation with Duran being injured but Zaniolo could be his centre forward did I read did yeah. I read quotes from him saying that 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 fills me with horror and I don't want to turn Zaniolo into the latest scapegoat because we've lost but I don't think he's an Aston Villa top four player. I don't. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I don't think he is. And whether that's because you know he, his his loan was a bit of a slow burner, and he's not kind of got that regular enough confidence boost, whether in, in terms of numbers, in terms of goals and assists. But that's what he's having to go with at the moment. He's having to bring on an unfit Jacob Ramsey, and that and those those were the those were the three. Listen, I suppose when you're three 0 down, it's last roll of the dice anyway. But those were the three changes that he could really make to influence that game in an attacking sense. He's got Zaniolo, who whether it's confidence, whether it's he hasn't had the game time, or whether he just has, isn't of the required quality, that's one substitution. You've got Leon Bailey, who must be carrying a knock because. Emery's no he more. Otherwise, yeah. yeah, he starts, and then you've got got Jacob Ramsey who's feeling his way back into form and fitness. So, you know, he, he's having to make these decisions based on that. I tell you, tell you one of the things that that frustrated me. I thought the first five minutes of the second half were really poor, really, really mm-hmm. poor. When when you expect Villa to come out and take the game, you know, cliche, but kicking towards the halt. You know, it's 2-0. The next goal is going to be crucial in terms of... We saw that when we get, made it back to 3-1. There was a chance where mm. we could have pushed and pushed. Yeah. I just felt we conceded territory too easily. I think we gave a silly corner away. And you're just thinking, what are you doing here? You're making it too easy for the opposition rather than us forcing yeah. them back and imposing our game on them. We've been a little bit meek and a little bit passive. Um, mm. I think that was the main difference between the last time we played them at Villa Park versus tonight. I thought their mid, their midfield was higher intensity than ours, and I think yeah. that gave them gave them the foothold in the game. And then there was no way back for us. Yeah, the only other change I could think of, and this is almost change for change's sake, almost is obviously we've seen Conte right back and Cash not in the team, Diego Carlos at centre half instead of him. I, would, I did wonder, and this is only a thought I had during the game when we were already losing against a physical side. Is Diego Carlos not a better suited defender in this game, more so than Clement Longley? Longley made a great goal-saving challenge uh, or inception or whatever the word is at, at one stage, and I thought he played okay. And I know why he's in the team. He's there to be Pau Torres light, isn't he? He's, he's the the free trial, isn't he? Of a, you know, if, if Pau Torres is Photoshop, Clement Longley is the free trial you get for a couple of weeks. It'll do a job. It doesn't have all the full features that the full thing has. Um, so I get that he's in there to start and trying to build attacks, and he's he's, he's okay. He's a decent enough player. Like I'm, this isn't an anti-Clement Longley thing. I just thought during the game, maybe having that extra physical Diego Carlos in those set piece situations rather than a Longley, maybe he was a a different option that could have been utilised in there. And then maybe Conte plays right back, and and, and Longley can still play. Cash is the full guy. Who knows? It's if puts and maybe's, and who am I to say anything over Uno Emery, that <laughs> the manager that's been the most successful in my lifetime so far. Um, but yeah, just a, a different thought of of maybe we can try different things. But like you said, the, the the room isn't there in terms of personnel to make too many experimental changes. 
time is not there either, right? Like Villa need to pick up points all the time. Like the Premier League is, yeah. is relentless. So we can't have a period where we go, oh, let's try something for, for three or four weeks and see if that works yeah. because we lose a couple of games and Spurs win them. And all of a sudden that that gap that we've built over the sides in sixth place is not there anymore. And we're under severe pressure of, of kind of blowing this good start we've had. Um so overall, I'm, I'm still positive about the season. I'm still kind of backing Villa to finish in the top five, whether that's Champions League or not. It will, will be, you know, we'll have to wait and see. As we said, the 16 games to go. This is not the end of the world. Not to have to have won tonight. Uh, I'm obviously upset about coming away from Villa Park and not having won or, or, or drawn the game because that's what we're so used to. But you beat Sheffield United at the weekend. You have a good go against Man United the following week. You've got Luton. Uh, I think. Crystal Palace was it? Let me just double check. The, the next five fixtures I thought were favourable to Villa. Um, I know we've seen that Villa don't tend to do well against the, the lower sides, but Sheffield United, Man United, Fulham, Forest and Luton are our next five before we play Spurs at Villa Park. So, you know, looking at that next five, thinking well, if you can win three, win four possibly, you're still going to be right up there and then you've got a huge game against Spurs to really kind of put yourself a bit of breathing room in there. So, by no means the end of the world, the end of the season, doom and gloom, anything like that. But just a few kind of niggling doubts that the last couple of weeks haven't really been good enough for the standard that we've come to expect under Emery. But I trust in him and the players to sort that out over time. We just, Pautar is coming back would be a big help at some point during those next five games. Yeah, I just, um, a couple of things I wanted, I wanted to mention my highlight of the match, which was... Uh, Leon Bailey, when he, he did a turn, dropped his shoulder and sent sent Dan Byrne to the ball ring. It was it was just brilliant. It was a, I'm clutching a little bit, but it was a, it was a brilliant moment. And I'm not blaming him for the result, but I thought the referee was appalling. And oh, I thought, yeah, I, thought the line, I, the, I thought the line I on the far side as well. I was sitting, I was obviously in the Trinity. I thought he was appalling as well. Um, they, when they let one, when they uh, flagged an offside for Moreno, I think it was before the move was allowed to develop, which they, they don't do anymore. Yeah. And in the second half, Newcastle allowed a move to develop and then flagged it for offside, like inconsistency in the same game. Never mind week to week, that kind yeah. of thing bores my pit. I did like it when um, John McGinn sent Anthony Gordon <coughs> into the stands as well with the. With the t- that was just after the. That was in the second half, wasn't it? And it was like, oh, okay, like a small, more, a small moment like that can really kind of like turn things a little bit. And again, I didn't really capitalise on that kind of. We're all in this together. Kind of Villa Park finally roared into life, and we couldn't quite make anything count off the back of that either. But you're right, the referee again. I wasn't wasn't really going to bring it up in a. Oh, we've lost. I'm, I'm sick of the referee and VAR. This VAR that. It wasn't that, but. Terrible referee, like gave nothing to Villa really. It felt like apart from yellow cards, the things that you probably could have just given as a foul and moved on. So many 50-50s went against Villa. Just yeah, had no control of the game whatsoever. But you could copy and paste that little segment of the podcast into most weeks. To be honest, I feel like that about most of the referees in this division. Yeah, it comes. It's the old cliche, isn't it? That the best referees are ones that you don't really notice because they just let yeah. the game flow. Anything that's completely oversteps the mark, they deal with it and they nip it in the bud. And it was just one of those ones where you just think, really, you know, if you really needed to to, to get involved there, could you not just let the game be played? I don't think it was. Mm. I don't think it was a pretty dirty game, was it? You know what I mean? It was. <laughs> it, was it was competitive, but I don't think it was dirty. Um, I said I'll give a shout out to. Um, I've got to find his name. Hang on a minute. It's a lad. He came over, he lives in Australia, and he came over about, it's how old I am, he came over about 15 years ago, I think, and I met him at a game with his dad. And he's now, since returned, he's some kind of high-flying lawyer now. He's on secondment 
in in London. So let me find his name because he's he, he's a he's a relative of um, Chris here we work with, Louis Evangelou. So big shout out to to Louis. I think he. Uh, so I think he's down in London at the moment. He tries to he's only over over here for a short while, so he's trying to get his fix of villa while he can. So uh hope it hasn't left you too too miserable tonight, Lewis. His fault then. We've been good since he came back. We're gonna blame Lewis. Yeah. Or we're gonna, gonna, gonna be Oh, that or the referee. Um <laughs> uh, we're really doing this in reverse and we will go in a second. What do you think of the light show? Did you enjoy that? The mobile light show? I'm an old man, Dan. I want to just, it's a bit roller disco for me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I, mean? oh, yeah. I probably, because I'm somebody who kind of makes sure I like paper tickets and stuff like that. And I don't like things that are app based. And I think if you're giving me an extra chore, just entertain me. Don't, don't let me have to press <laughs> a button on my phone to, to be part of it. But I don't I don't mind it. You know, listen, you'll get me on familiar territory again today because the last thing I needed at 2-0 down was that stupid half-time game, which I'm saying to my, my nephew, it's like it's like a supply teacher. You know, you've got a supply teacher for PE at school and they just they don't know where the normal equipment is, so they've just got a, a key to a random <laughs> store cupboard and just yeah, throw it together. Yeah. And then... Um, I think they asked the fella, didn't they? They asked the fella to pronounce the name of the new signing. What's it, what would you have got that one right? Costa well, something. I'd have, given it? It, I'd have given it a go because we spoke about him a few weeks ago. I think it's Costa Ndjelkovic. I think John told me oh, I'd right. do okay when I when I'd said that, but what does John do? <laughs> I oh, could right, do with yeah, uh, a Serbian international telling me whether that's any good or not. I think it's Ndjelkovic. Oh, oh right. Well, you might you might you might have won yourself fifty pride points or whatever. Oh, that's what we all after, isn't it? 50 pride puns. I mean, what the hell do they even do? What happened to like, while we're here, talking about half-time games and entertainment and whatnot, whether, whatever the game is, is kind of irrelevant. Why are we not winning like proper prizes like the good old days? Like winning a shirt or a season ticket or a 50 quid in the club shop? What's anyone doing with 100 pride We're going to match points? ticket for Newcastle, you know. Yeah. Even a 63-quid yeah. match ticket. <laughs> £63 voucher, yeah to specifically send on a match ticket for a Category B game. Yeah, the prize I think is it's FFP, on these you know, I think you have you to give smaller prizes to keep, keep in line with the, all the... Oh, you've gone. Oh, you're on your uh, laptop webcam now. <laughs> oh. We didn't do this live because of this reason here. That's uh computer's gone absolutely A1. Oh. We've lost audio. It's switching webcams what the hell is going on i'm going to call it a day there matt while you're on the computer uh, we we're just talking about not being able to use apps and pressing the button uh, evidence here is proven uh, but if you enjoy this podcast or uh, if you enjoyed this podcast or listening uh, if you enjoyed this oh, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast or watching it on youtube then please uh, scroll down get involved click a few buttons like matt kendrick uh, hit the like button subscribe to the youtube channel get involved in the comment section and leave us a review on the audio platform of your choice cheers for watching this one cheers matt for your time we'll see you very soon